In today's episode, we open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5, verse 12, through chapter 6, verse 7. In the heart of Jerusalem, the apostles, by the power of the Holy Spirit, perform miracles that captivate and inspire others, leading to a rapid growth in followers of Jesus. However, their burgeoning influence raises alarm with some, especially the religious authorities, who throw them in jail. Yet, the jail bars are no match for divine intervention, as an angel of the Lord mysteriously sets them free, encouraging them to continue preaching. Meanwhile, within the vibrant Christian community, internal conflicts surface, threatening the unity of the faithful. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Monday, July 24th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures to which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. Well, this morning we are going to be uh, tuning in to this section that I just talked about. We're going to pick up where we left off last time, but my guest this morning is the Reverend Robert Moeller. He's pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota, and also Trinity Lutheran Church in Jasper, Minnesota, and also St. John Lutheran Church in Trosky, Minnesota. Good morning, Pastor Moeller, and welcome to the program. Good morning, Pastor Boo. Hopefully you can hear me now. I've been having trouble with, with my audio. Well, I can hear you, and I can hear you fine. I'm just happy to have you back on the program uh, I have spent uh, about 10 days away. We've been playing some pre-recorded programs that I made uh, before I left, but part of my time away was actually with you, was it not? Your, your congregation yes, and mine and a couple others, we went to the Ark Museum, or the Ark Encounter, I should say, and the, and the Creation Museum and a couple of other things. That was a great trip, wasn't it? Yes, it sure was. Uh, very enjoyable, and it was nice to, to get to meet a few other other people. I guess I had a lot heard a lot of comments, and I I thought so too. That how nice it was that it was intergenerational with with so many different age groups there. So, yeah, it did we we had some teenagers with us, a couple of little kids, some more seasoned folks. It was a great trip, and I was happy to go on it with you. Anyone who has not had the chance to head out over there to Kentucky to that Creation Museum or the Ark Encounter, you should really make a point to go. I think that. Uh, Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis, who runs that, they do a very, very good job at keeping things simple and biblically oriented. And I think uh, probably a low common denominator where most Christians can agree with the materials presented. And I just think it was a great time and happy to have you on that. Uh, you've been back a week before I got back. <laughs> How have things been going this past week? Did you get some rest after your trip? Not a whole lot because the the first day I got back I had a funeral so we uh, oh. so we we had that but I guess it was a blessing to be able to to share God's word with the the people during that time too. Well, such is the life of the church, right? We're always preparing to be able to comfort those in mourning. Uh, we we live our lives according to the teachings of the Bible, but it really all kind of comes home when you have a funeral. You remember why we do all this in the first place. That way. We can be comforted when those depart before us, depart before the Lord returns. And it might have seemed like forever before the Lord would return back in the time of our text with the, with the apostles and the disciples in the book of Acts. Um, they're just getting started. It's a fledgling church, but the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things through them. That's what we're going to talk about today. 
Before we dive into our biblical text, though, brother, would you start our time together off with prayer? Certainly. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to study your word. Uh, We ask that that word would speak within our hearts and within our minds, that we might have a, a better understanding of your plan of salvation, and that as we uh, see how the, the early disciples faced challenges and uh, faced wonderful opportunities, Lord, uh, that you led them, and may we be led in the same way. Bless our time and let your Holy Spirit be our guide. In, his, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Muller, last time that uh, we were around the text, you weren't with us, but another guest was, we talked about um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira and how they lost their lives because they had tried to deceive even the Holy Spirit, tried to deceive the church by lying, basically, about what they wanted to provide. They had a field, they sold it for a certain amount of money, they promised that money, but they held some back uh, in mockery of the church. And and that's sort of where we left it, and it's kind of a, kind of a, I guess a negative, very law based, if we want to use Lutheran terms, a place to leave us in our last episode. In fact, the very last verses were, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon everyone who heard of these things. These things being what happened to Ananias and Sapphira, where our text picks up right there. And I'm just going to read the first few verses to get us started. And this is basically how uh, it's sort of a, a meanwhile, right? It's not really about that particular event. It's, it's more of a, and here's what's been going on meanwhile, starting with verse 12 of chapter 5. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. But the people held them in high esteem, and more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid on them cots and mats, and as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed." Now, that's, uh, that's where we're going to pause, right there at the end of verse 16. But what's amazing is they see this, uh, this act of the Holy Spirit exercising judgment on Ananias and Sapphira. But meanwhile, we're told that signs and wonders were regularly being done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Uh, this, this common marker in Acts, signs and wonders, what is that? What, what, are, what are the apostles doing that, the, that Luke is telling us about here? Well, a, a lot of what they're doing is they're, they're healing the physical ailments, but uh, they're also ca- casting out demons and, and uh, working, working with that as far as for the, the signs and wonders are. Uh, the people are, are gathering around and, and coming to check on those. Yeah, we already saw even back in chapter 2, it says, All came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Uh, we saw that in verse 4, too. It talked about doing signs and wonders performed through the name of Jesus. And, and so here we have them continuing to do these signs and wonders. Uh, miracles, I guess we might say. 
people ask me all the time, and I'm sure they've asked you throughout your ministry, are miracles still done today? Um, do do Christians have the ability to summon the, the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things that are miraculous? We know that the signs and wonders accompanied the message of the apostles during this beginning so that people could trust in their message. Today, do we have that ability? Are these are these uh, TV preachers and these 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 tent revivalists who are claiming to do all these miracles? Are those things real? There's a lot of questions wrapped up into that. What are your thoughts about miracles and the present age? I, I guess certainly God can still do miracles t- today of the the sorts that we saw during the Apostles' Day. I don't think that they're they aren't promised to us in scripture though and so that's something for us to keep in mind some of the you get some of the the name it claim it type that would would say that if you uh, if you believe enough and if you uh, call upon God that he's going to answer that as far as for the the healing that God does promise healing to believers and that's one of the things I talked about in the the funeral sermon that I had was uh but it's not always in this life that yeah. that uh, that life for believers uh, that healing might come in uh, it will certainly come in the resurrection if it does not come in this life also yeah, as far as that we're oh go ahead i'll just i was just going to no. interject there and 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 piggyback on what you're saying because there's nowhere in no, scripture go, that go says ahead. that we should expect these miraculous things that that the lord is going to make these miraculous things happen in our lives or give us the ability to do miracles to show something or prove something to others. In fact, it seems like most of the time the Bible is pointing to the power of the Word, how the Holy Spirit works through the message, not so much through the yeah. things that we do. Yes, I, th- I think as far as for miracles, the, the, we have greater miracles going on all the time, uh, and it's through that Word. You know, Any time that someone is brought to faith, that is the, the greatest of the miracles. Uh, uh, the results of that are are the the most positive for us, and and uh, kind of going back, you know, to these things that uh, with with man, it's this is not possible, but with God, all things are possible. It's talking specifically about faith in, in that case. Now it says they were all together in Solomon's portico. Now, if you were to look at a map of Herod's temple, this portico was this uh, open air area it would have had it would have had a covering of course it would have had these big pillars that you could walk enter amongst and people would gather there and they would hear various teachers and preachers and it seems like the early christians were fond of this area they were there they were proclaiming the deeds of god they were healing people when they came by in search of healing but it says in verse 13 none of the rest dared join them but the people held them in high esteem. So none of the rest, I guess that refers to the people who are intrigued by the Christian message, maybe respected the Christian community, but were pretty afraid. They might have been afraid in light of the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. They might have been afraid because the Christians always seem to get in trouble with the authorities. It does seem like they're doing good works, and people aren't denying that, but there's a little trepidation, a little fear in joining this this band of people, uh, I guess for a lot of reasons. How do you, how do you see that? Um, yeah, the, certainly, the, <clears throat> certainly.
certainly that fear would be would come from a couple of those places. I guess it, it, in the combination of it also talking about all, there are a number of people coming to faith too. That there there's a, a little bit of of each of that. Um, probably the that fear that is healthy in some ways as far as for you're not just having people jumping in because this is the latest thing to do. They at least realize something serious is going on there. Um, and I guess I would, would hope that that seriousness keeps the, as they see how the, the disciples are going to go through in just a, a little bit with, as they meet more opposition, that that would encourage them too. Oh, yes. I mean, I read none of the rest dared join them, but the very next verse says, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so many believers that they carried out the sick into the streets. Now, these believers, they believed in the message, but maybe they weren't quite ready yet to be seen amongst the rest of the Christians or to be gathered up in Solomon's portico. And we're going to, in just a few minutes, see why that might be a reasonable fear but at the same time, you seem to have these, and I don't want to say levels of believers, we talked about that already, but you seem to see new believers who believe the message, respected the signs and wonders, believe, put their faith in Christ, but just hadn't gotten up that, that, that ability to go out and proclaim Christ publicly. There was still a lot of fear and trepidation. And if that's the case, I see a lot of that happening today, where people believe in the Lord more than the people are willing to go out and share that belief. There's there's a disparity between those two numbers, and it makes it makes the number of believers seem smaller than it is. Yeah, and I, I think that we do see that definitely with with uh, people who, as you said, do love the Lord, who know the Lord, but uh, to to get out there and to go there, that that's kind of the the next step that, um, you know, particularly I see that people are hesitant to talk even with their families about these things. We're kind of coming through a time now where it's probably, it's not as popular in our culture as it, as it was 20, 30 years ago uh, either. And so um, people are more hesitant because you're going to have more backlash by talking about Jesus uh, in public. But the one thing we do see, though, is the desperate people are just that. They're desperate. They don't care about the consequences. If they know people who are sick, know people who cannot walk, they know people who are have unclean spirits within them, they are, we're told here in the same passage, being carried out into the streets. They're laying them all outside the, the where the disciples are out there preaching some of them in hopes that just that Peter's shadow might fall on them. Now, are we to learn from this that the people were so desperate for healing and perhaps even so strong in faith that they thought that even the shadow of the apostle might heal their, their, their loved one? Or are we to take away from this that somehow the shadow of the apostle has power or that the little slips of cloth or pieces of paper, what we might call relics today, that these relics somehow contain power in and of themselves. I think there's two different things you can take away from here. Uh, I certainly look at it one way. I think you look at it the same way. But what about those people who might look at this and say, wow, God's healing through these talismans, or the, he's healing through these, through just the, the shadow of Peter. 
What's a better way for people to understand this passage? I think as far it, at least it, it shows some some respect and some understanding where the power's coming through, but but they're it's taking the focus uh, again off the word. It's Peter's word uh, that Peter received from the Lord that is actually doing these healings, and the the disciples are pretty clear about that as they're preaching and as they're doing the work that that it's it's from the Lord and trying to keep from. Wow, we so easily fall into superstition, I think, rather than, than faith sometimes, or, or even having that superstition mixed with our faith. Yeah, I think that happens uh, quite a bit, for sure. And it makes you wonder, too, and it's not our place to judge, but it makes you wonder, all the people who are there to get healings, are they putting their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, or are they just looking for that quick healing, that miracle? And I think that could inform why we don't see the same kind of miracle works today. If people just want the miracle, but they miss the message, so to speak, then what good is that? I think of Jesus going out, and he's healing the crowds, but he doesn't heal everybody. He moves on eventually. And I think about the woman grabbing at the fringe of Jesus's garment, right? She puts her faith in Jesus, not necessarily the garment. But at the same time, there are plenty of people who believe in God, and yet their faith, hope, and trust is not in Christ as their Savior, the demons uh, among them. So I think we see a lot of people here just like the church. You know, there is a church back where um, I lived for a while when I was out in Connecticut, and it is constantly surrounded by the homeless and the hungry because they did regular daily meals. Uh, and I think that's wonderful, and the church should be doing those sorts of things. At the same time, you don't necessarily want to equate everyone who shows up for a for a meal as being a faithful Christian, because some people will use the church, they will use the gifts of God, and then move on with their lives so long as, uh, or at least up and until they no longer receive the gifts. So I, I think there is something to be said about how we see all these kinds of people, the people who are standing by the apostles in Solomon's portico, proclaiming the word of God despite what might happen, those who believe and respect them but aren't quite ready to, ready to join them, and then those who probably don't care one way or another about them as long as they can get something from them, like healing or unclean spirits. And so I think that's why it's important that we understand that true faith is a function of the Holy Spirit, because otherwise all of these things uh, make it pretty confusing to tell, well, who's a true believer and who's not. Yeah, I, don't, I guess I don't have anything to add to, to that portion. <laughs> okay, well, I'll tell you what, then. We'll keep on going. Uh, let's start well. With, well, let's start with verse 17, because all of these things that are happening are causing quite the spectacle, you can imagine, whether they're the ones ready to stand up with the apostles, whether they're the ones who are believing at a distance or those who are wanting their loved ones healed, there is a commotion being uh, being stirred up around these apostles wherever they went. So verse 17 gives us a little insight into, well, how the religious authorities are responding. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, 
go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. I want to pause right there halfway through verse 21. So the Sadducees are in control. The high priest is upset. They're all jealous because look at the following that they have. Look at the excitement around them. Look at all the new people coming to faith and and begging of them wisdom and healing. They don't do that to us, so they get jealous, and they arrest them. Uh, But the jail doors can't hold them, brother. Tell us what happens. This angel of the Lord comes and busts them out of prison. Yes, the the angel of the Lord comes there. He he takes them out of prison. The the guards don't even notice. As a matter of fact, when they they come back, that they— they, they find out that that all the the doors are securely locked. The guards are standing by the doors, but but there's no one inside. Yeah, we can read the rest here. Now, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and they reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. All right, pausing again there at the end of 26. So they bust out of prison with the help of an angel of God, an angel of, of the Lord, it says. And uh, But they don't run. They don't flee. They just go back to doing what they were doing when they got arrested, and that is proclaiming the word of the Lord. Take us into this a little bit, though. What What's the mindset of these Sadducees? I mean, we, we, there's not the same kind of religious freedom that we strive for in this country. There's not a, well, we're going to live and let live. These guys were in charge, and they did not like what the apostles were saying because it put them in a bad light, and it led people away from what they were teaching. Yeah, and I, I think uh, they seemed to be convinced that, that what they were teaching was true I, in, in many ways, and so I guess— giving them that benefit of doubt so that jealousy could kind of be directed too toward these guys are not preaching the true word of God uh, in their mind, but only because, uh, well, I guess a couple of things would go in there. The, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And what was the main, uh, one of the main points that the disciples were making as they're preaching? Um, you know, Jesus, you killed Jesus, but he's risen from the dead. And, and so that that's, contradicting their beliefs and kind of frustrating them in that way. Well, they put them in the public prison, which I think is important because I they want people to see that these people are being punished for their message. Because as you pointed out, the Sadducees, one of their main, I guess, differences between what they believed and what, say, the Pharisees believed was this idea of the resurrection. They didn't believe in it. And so if people were coming over to the side of, well, if this Jesus was resurrected and the, and the Sadducees were wrong about the resurrection, then what else are they wrong about? 
But I also like how you put, if they believe they're doing everything right, if they believe, giving them the benefit of the doubt that they're not just trying to deceive people, but they believe that they are right in what they believe, teach, and confess, then they must be all just utterly frustrated by the fact that God, it seems, is blessing this group with new and new believers, with all these crowds and with all these powerful abilities, and not them. So there's a lot going on here. And I think that's important to remember that the Sadducees and the Pharisees and even all the religious leaders, I don't think it's right to say that they were all just conniving, trying to, to keep Jesus's disciples from spreading the message because they're just evil, as if they believed and were trying to stop Jesus. They just literally don't believe. They, they did not accept the message that Christ had brought. And, uh, and the same thing with the Roman authorities. They don't believe. And sometimes we make them into these great enemies of God as opposed to merely more people for whom Christ died and need to hear the message. So I think this is another reason why we see when, when the disciples are broken out of prison, they're not whisked away to the other side of the earth. They're sent right back to what they're doing. And they get that second opportunity to continue to proclaim to everybody who will listen, including the Sadducees, the truth of God. Uh, I was struck by one more thing. I hadn't, don't recall thinking of it before, but there's the added irony here of the angel freeing the prisoners from the, the jail cell because uh, the Sadducees did not believe in the teaching of angels either. And so that... Um, oh, I didn't know. I I, guess, I, you know what? I didn't even know that. That's interesting. Because, yeah, that that comes up when, when Jesus is talking about uh, when they're... They have the the discussion about bring up the idea of the the man the woman who is married to the seven different brothers and the, they're mentioned but Jesus talk about well, they're like the angels so he's kind of putting it in there too uh, at that point. Yes, you know it 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 does make sense though. If you don't believe in an afterlife, then there's probably not spiritual beings occupying the some spiritual yeah. realm where you might go in the afterlife. Uh, in yeah, fact, it's in the book of Acts, chapter twenty-three, verse eight, that it says, "For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both." So yeah, I didn't mm -hmm. remember that, but you're right that that. That in and of itself is demonstrating to the Pharisees who are in control that, you know what, maybe you got some things wrong. Well, they they dismissed miracles, too, for that matter. So these miracles that are happening are, are kind of a, a directly a, a threat to them. Yes, and in very many ways, the Sadducees would have been considered perhaps the, the more liberal understanding, liberally uh, theological, as opposed to the more conservative Pharisees. It's, it's hard—the terms don't always transfer exactly, but you know, the Pharisees would uh, stick to the Scripture and their teachings a little more than the Sadducees would. We see some of those things happening on today. But yeah, they're being—I don't know if mocked is the right word, but it reminds me a lot— of how the how God how Yahweh got glory over the gods of Egypt by using things that represented the gods. So, for instance, you know they worship the Nile, and he causes the Nile to be uh, filled with blood. They they worship the sun, he causes the sun to go away. And so here, God's using things that these officials didn't believe in to demonstrate His power over their authority. 
Uh, anything else before we head over to break that you want people to know, uh, and then we'll come right back. I can't think of anything right now. Okay, good. Well, then we'll think about it as we take a break, folks. Don't go anywhere. Pastor Boys Claire and I will pick back up where we left off when we get back. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Robert Moeller, Jr., pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Pipestone, Minnesota, Trinity Lutheran Church in Jasper, Minnesota, and St. John Lutheran Church in Trosky, Minnesota. Before we get back to the text, though, I want you to know that Thy Strong Word is made possible by listeners like you who contribute to the good work of KFUO. We're also grateful for a generous gift from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. LHF does important work in translating and making and giving out Lutheran books and materials that are Bible-based and Jesus-focused. The best part is they give out these for free to pastors, missionaries, and those who need them. To know more about what LHF does and how you can join them in their important work, have a look at their website at lhfmissions.org. Also, Thy Strong Word is always within your reach. I'd like to tell you about tuning in to AM850 or heading over to the podcast website, which is kfuo.org. But you can also download the KFUO radio app. I really want you to do that. It's compatible with both iOS and Android devices. You can listen wherever you like. You can listen live or on your own pace. Uh, all of that through the app. And if you want to chat with me to share some thoughts or if you have any questions, I'm all ears. You can reach me by dropping an email to pastorboo at gmail.com, or you can connect with me by Facebook. All right, Pastor Moeller, before the break, we were kind of right in the middle of the narrative of the priests um, arresting the disciples because, well, frankly, they just didn't like them. They were jealous. They saw all the influence they were having over the people. And after they were arrested, they were sprung by the Holy Spirit, by an angel of the Lord, and then they were sent or whisked away, or they walked, I don't know, right back to the temple where they were then proclaiming the word, right? They're, they're standing as proof that, that God's word cannot be overturned and that the, the, the disciples are uh, <laughs> immune to the, any kind of punishments they could receive. It's not going to stop them. Because imagine if it would have worked. Imagine if the disciples, as soon as they were told by the authorities, you cannot preach in this name, they were to say, okay, we won't. Or as soon as they did, they were arrested and they thought, well, this isn't worth it. Then how many people would not have heard the word of Jesus? The, the Lord were, was using them to grow his church, and that required them to have 
quite the courage to be able to stand up against the religious leaders of the day. But we see it's miraculous. They're removed, um, and now they're greatly perplexed. And then the captain with the officers, they went back to the disciples, and I love this part, verse 26, they brought them, but not by force, for they are afraid of being stoned by the people. The people were the ones who eventually showed that they had the authority. Because here we have the religious authorities, and they say, you know what? We're not going to risk it. We want the people on our side. And the Holy Spirit is working all behind the scenes here. It's just amazing to see this set because, well, there are many places around the world throughout history and even in our country and countries of our neighbors today where Christians are being threatened for proclaiming the truth of God's Word. And the question is, do we have the courage of the apostles to uh, keep on going even in the face of opposition? I don't know. What do you think, brother? Does this speak to us today at all? Well, most certainly. As just going back to the disciples first a little bit, that the idea that not only did they go to the temple to preach, but then when the captain officers come, they brought them not by force. So that I take that that the disciples willingly went back to go to those very Sadducees who were uh, who were giving them all all the trouble before. Uh, as far as for modern day now, um, you can even run into it occasionally within congregation. I haven't for quite a while, but where you'll have some people start saying, Pastor, maybe you shouldn't be talking about that. That's a little bit controversial or things like that. Um, think there'll be things like life issues or things like that, where I know that, that pastors have been told by by some within the congregation that that just makes people uncomfortable but but those are all things that are are the truth of God's word and so we must must speak about them well you're absolutely right and controversial is probably the right word to use but i have found that the the magic word that they want to use people who want to silence christians or especially pastors from talking about certain issues is the word political, right? As soon as you claim something is political, that's supposed to sort of scare the pastor into not addressing these things. Uh, and everything in our life has to do with faith and politics and sometimes controversial issues. Um, it's, uh, it's not reasonable to expect that pastors uh, proclaiming the counsel of God are not going to delve into so-called political issues. Um, because so many things are made political today. And I see that a little bit going on in this text, right? It's like saying we're the ones in charge. We don't believe in the things that you're saying, and therefore you're not allowed to say them. And the disciples, and I love how you pointed that out, you know, yes, they were afraid of being stoned, so they weren't going to force the disciples to go with them, but they went on their own. They went on their own back to the Sadducees because it's their job to speak truth to power, and we love that example that the apostles are giving us here today. Well, let's get into what they said, starting with verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching." And you intend to bring this man's blood upon us? But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
the God of our fathers, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Stopping there, brother, isn't that a beautiful message, though? Because they said, you're here to bring this man's blood upon us. And while they asserted the truth that you killed him by hanging him on a tree, they didn't say, and therefore you're, you're condemned forever. They said, but God used that very thing to give repentance and forgiveness. The, they're offering the Sadducees this opportunity to believe. I have a feeling that they're not going to respond well, but is that what you see them doing too, right? They're not condemning the authorities. They're offering them the truth that, yes, you yes, did something right. wrong. Yes, you did something wrong, but God used that for your own salvation. It's it's an opportunity to repent, and even it's interesting that you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, but it wasn't all that long before, back on, um, during Jesus' trial, when uh, when the uh, officials had said, "His blood be upon us and uh, and on our children," that they had called His blood upon them even at that point. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, it wasn't it wasn't too uh, too long ago before they were like, "Yeah, we'll we'll take all the blame," and now suddenly they don't want any of that blame. Yeah, that's an amazing point that I hadn't thought of. Well, here they said, right? He has exalted Jesus as leader and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. That's the good news. Here's how they respond. Verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thodius raised up, claiming to be someone, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men. Let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. So that's uh, the end of verse 42. So I, I just want to start, before we even get into the great uh, advice from uh, Gamaliel, 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 I think that's the way we were going to say it. Uh, before the even that, though, we see him, they're proclaiming the truth. It has law and gospel built in, but they respond with rage. You know, when I was growing up, 
I was given this teaching, this idea that it was the job of the Christians to talk other people into being Christians, right? You had to get them to say the sinner's prayer. You had to take them down the Romans road. You had to get them to sign on the dotted line. You always had to be closing. And yet when I became a Lutheran, I, the, the biblical truth was revealed to me that the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit does the work. We're to proclaim the truth and leave it to the Holy Spirit. And I think this is an example of why. You know, could they have talked them into being believers when their when their knee-jerk reaction to the message of repentance and forgiveness and God's love is anger and death threats? I don't know. It's tough. What do you see here? Um, I guess part of that uh, is uh, just kind of going toward the uh, enraged is the, the translation in the ESV. Uh, some of the other ones have cut to the heart. Um, the same same that comes up back in Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, I don't have it handy to check to see if it's the same word in Greek or not, but uh, a couple of the commentators and make, the, make a point that it's the same word, but it's a different reaction as far as for the, the, the when the uh, believers on Pentecost were cut to the heart, they... They asked, what shall we do? Or here the, the cut to the heart is um, is the, the anger that comes from there, the, the rage that comes from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it in the Greek here, and it looks like they are similar expressions, right? This one's been translated, becomes furious. The other's a little bit more woodenly translated. But you're absolutely right. There's two different people here being confronted with the same thing, and that is the Word of God. Law, your sins have killed the author of life, and gospel, God uses that evil thing to bring you forgiveness and reconciliation. And some people will receive that, <laughs> the Holy Spirit works faith in their heart, and other people, upon having the Holy Spirit present them with faith, completely reject that, and they reject it in the most heinous way, and that's what we see here. They want to kill them, which is why the, what happens next with uh, Gamaliel um, is so important, right? Because this guy, who I think is considered a saint by many Christian churches, I think a lot of people have said that this man was a believer, kind of embedded in the Sanhedrin. There's been stories told of him, some legends attached to him. I, I don't know whether you consider him a saint or not, or a believer or not, but certainly his words couldn't be more true. That if this was God's doing, there's nothing you could do anyway, so you might as well let it continue. I don't know if that's always good advice, but it's certainly good advice yeah, in this context. I was going to say, I, I would take that the second half of that statement, that if it comes with God, it's going to prevail. But um, as, if it comes from man, you, I think we can think of a number of, religious movements and so forth that have gone for a long time that, that don't come from God, too. So I wouldn't want to push that first part so much as truth necessarily, but, but certainly that if it originates with God, that it's going to prevail. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the, the, the whole thing here is just keep away from them and leave them alone, which they agree with him, but then they continue to beat them and tell them to not preach in the name of Jesus. Yeah. But, but you're right. I've heard the argument that Christianity can be considered valid and true because it's lasted so long. 
right? I've heard that argument because it spread so far, because it's lasted so long, because here we are on the radio still talking about Jesus almost 2,000 years later, then it must be true. But you bring up a good point. There are Asian religions and other ancient religions that many of which persist today in one way or another. So in terms of false gods and false ideas about faith, those can persist too. You can go down the road to these mega churches that don't teach the the truth of the scriptures and they and they got 20,000 people there and so if you're going to equate truth with success depending on how you measure success uh, worldly success then that might not be the best comparison but his advice is true he's like listen we just need to leave these guys alone because we're either going to make martyrs out of them or um, if it really is god there's nothing we can do anyway so i think in the present situation it makes the most sense. They either punch yeah, them further and get the ire of the people, or they just let them go and hope that it comes to nothing. Yeah, definitely God's going to be using that for for their good, the, this this advice that he, that he gives to them, uh, and so that they, they are able to, to keep around. They're going to still, that doesn't mean that they're not going to suffer that additional punishment, as you already mentioned, but but and that they're that they're going to have an easy time of it, but but they aren't going to be called upon to die just yet, anyway. You have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood, I believe uh, Paul says elsewhere. Well, <laughs> verse forty-one, I think, is very poignant. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Of course, the name is the name of Jesus. Um, do you think we think like that today? Do you think American Christians especially, are, are we caught up in doing our best to avoid suffering at all costs? Or do we, when we righteously suffer, do we recognize that that is an honor if we're righteously suffering for the name of Jesus? I think that we, we tend to try, tend to take the easy way out if we can. I was, I was thinking of, my own situation once where I, where I was made to suffer for holding to the truth. And I can't tell you that I was really rejoicing a whole lot at that point. Uh, I knew that it was, I knew it was necessary, but it was hard to rejoice. Well, as someone who, uh, looking back, has also experienced some hardships because of my confession and desire to stick true to the faith, I, I think I can empathize with you a little bit, and I don't know your whole situation, but I think almost every pastor has experienced some time, some much, much more severely than others, where they've had to, I guess, not not enjoy the favor of people because they're staying on the side of God. On the other hand, you're right. I think to be able to rejoice in that, that takes a great deal of spiritual maturity and self-awareness that I don't think we always have in the moment, for sure. Well, anything else about that before we go on? We only have seven verses of chapter six that we're going to cover, but I wanted to make sure we got to it today uh, and at least touched on it. Anything else before we move on? No, I don't have anything else in this section. All right, here we go. Starting with chapter six, verses one through seven. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. 
Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, I wanted to include this section because mostly that last line, a great many of the priests became obedient. So we see even the priests who were uh, caught up in trying to either be faithful to their Sadducee uh, rulers or faithful to what they believe God was teaching through these disciples, many of them came to faith. But the, the struggle, the conflict wasn't just from outside the church. Here we have complaints from within the church. Who, brother, are these Hellenists, and what exactly are they complaining about? Well, the Hellenists would be the the Grecian Jews, those that had lived in various parts of the Roman Empire and had come to Jerusalem to live, or they would come there for festivals and and some things like that. Um, It's possible some of them decided on Pentecost to to remain and settle where their fellow believe where their fellow believers were now, um, and they were they were Greek speaking. Their, their first language wasn't the Aramaic of the the Palestinian Jews, and their their customs and and their attitudes different differed uh, in ways from from the Palestinian Jews. So there was a a cultural difference there um, besides ethnic. And so they felt like they were being neglected. They felt like that that because they weren't the Jewish Jews, they weren't the Jewish Christians, that their their widows uh, were being neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, what is this daily distribution? I don't think that's something we do today. Uh, they were distributing. It said in chapter four, verse thirty-five. They they had what they had. They laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had any need. It looks like they were distributing that daily to the people who needed something, but the Hellenists were felt like their people were being left out. Yeah, and I guess I could see how that that could easily happen if you have a a, lang- a little bit of a language barrier there or, or some things like that, and uh, you just have where we don't know these folks as much, so we might not be quite as, as aware of of the of the needs that they have, and so it's it's really good that they get get somebody uh, who, who helps with that, I think we kind of, we'll see that with, the, we see that with the names of the, the people that they get for serving. A lot of those are, are Greek names. So uh, it's thought that they probably, come, many of them come from Greek background then too. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Is that an arrogance? from the apostles? I mean, I think modern-day people might see that as an arrogance. They might say, oh, your job is more important than taking care of the needy. How might we understand this properly? I think it's, it's a matter of priorities. It's a, but that was primarily what they were called to do. Not everyone is, is called upon to, to bring the message like the, apostle, like the apostles were, the, those, those that were called to that position. 
and uh, it's also involving more more people in the uh, in the work of the church uh, with with some of these different areas too. Yeah, I agree. I don't see them denigrating the practice of meeting practical needs, of course, right? They're, they're very important things. Uh, we hear that from James a lot, too. But as you've pointed out, they have this responsibility to teach the message of God, to witness to Christ. And, and we see this as a division of duties today, I believe. I think this is con- continuing—it's been shaped throughout history. It's been, it's been implemented and exercised differently in different contexts. But for the most part, what we're seeing here— is the pastoral role in the apostles of proclaiming the Word of God, and then those who assist the pastors. And perhaps this is what we would call the the deacon's responsibility, their responsibility to do those pastoral duties that aren't specifically reserved to the office of public ministry, we might use in our current language. Is that how you see this division here today? Uh, Yes, it is. I I was— when I was preparing for this, I was kind of thinking in the differences between our parishes. You have one that's a, a, a large, but larger by our standards, at least in Southwest Minnesota congregation. Uh, you have another professional church worker there, and so there's some of that division going on there. Um, I also know that your sister system of governance within your congregation has you have a lot more committees and things like that, whereas I serve three small congregations. Ours, uh, the the division of labor is is a little bit more, is a little different. It's uh, more ad hoc committees and and things as necessary, but but it's important to have other people step up because having three congregations, they can't be at all three at one time. So, Yeah, I was just about to say, I think you would need more of that uh, delegated help, probably, than say, I do, because I only have one physical site to uh, be concerned with. Yeah, and and that's why I said, you know, I think it's different. I don't think this is a prescription. We've already talked about prescription versus description in terms of what the Book of Acts is teaching us, but it certainly is describing a good way to do it, and that is to make sure that there are lay leaders who are stepping up and able to accomplish uh, the the things of the church, so that their people aren't neglected. I, I loved how there wasn't a denial that the Hellenists were being neglected. It was it just became a, okay. This is obviously a problem. Let's fix it. Instead of a debate between who's responsible, they just sought to make sure that this would not continue to happen, and it didn't. Verse seven: the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied, and even. Even some of those priests, a great many of them, became obedient to the faith. That's what our hopes are today. Um, we're getting close to the end of the program, brother, but I want to give you as much time as possible. What else can we learn from this text? I think one of the important things that we can that we can learn from this last portion is about uh, how church conflict isn't necessarily all bad. It's a matter of how we deal with it. Um, oftentimes, people when conflict comes into the church. We'll just try to put it aside or ignore it or things like that. But here it's dealt with uh, effectively and, and looking out for for the others, not for my own territory or things like that. But okay, we've got you know we've got a problem here. How can we solve that problem? And and it was very simple. And then the church grows, continues growing. 
What a great example to us today. Well, I tell you what, we are at the end of our program. There's probably a lot we could have went through in this text, but I'm so thankful you were here this morning to guide us through most of it. It's the Reverend Robert Moeller, Jr. He's the pastor of Our Savior Lutheran Church, Pipestone, Minnesota, Trinity Lutheran Church in Jasper, Minnesota, and St. John Lutheran Church in Trosky, Minnesota, just up the road from me. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you very much for asking me. Folks, tomorrow when we return, we learn about Stephen, one of these up-and-coming leaders in the early church. He's debating with the religious authorities. He's proclaiming the Word of God. His eloquence and the divine signs that accompany them, well, it, it stokes the ire of some, as you might imagine, leading to, what else, false accusations and a trial before the Sanhedrin. But undeterred, Stephen seizes that opportunity to recount the history from Abraham to Solomon. He pointed out how they had always fought against God's plan and his messengers, even up to the point of killing Jesus. Stephen's speech serves as a, a potent challenge to the religious leaders, forcing them to confront their culpability in rejecting the Messiah. We're going to talk about that and a lot more tomorrow. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray Father, keep us in thy strong word.